0: everyone and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host. We have lots of EV news to get to today so let's go ahead and skip the announcements and jump right into our news. Fisker, Hyundai and Acura will all adopt the NACS adapter. Now it makes a lot of sense for Fisker to do it because that gets Fisker owners access to Tesla's 12,000 supercharger network by 2025 on the other side, Honda and Acura, which is actually owned by Honda, they're going to adopt the NACS adapter, probably because GM told them to. If you don't know, Honda and Acura, are they're licensing GM's Ultium platform for their EVs. And currently, Honda is so far behind. And when I say Honda, I mean Acura too. They're so far behind on the EV front that I would imagine they're going to do whatever GM tells them to do if they want to continue licensing their platform. And GM's probably like, you know, what? we don't want to add complications. We're all going to use the NACS adapter. Kind of as a side note, Acura announced the ZDX EV, or if you don't live in the United States, the ZDX EV at the Monterey Auto Show. Not really a car we're going to talk about today, but if you want to take a peek, go Google Acura ZDX EV. Uh, Let's see. Jaguar is launching as an all-electric brand in 2025. And when I say Jaguar, this includes Land Rover. Just before the big transition, Jaguar will be discontinuing the I-PACE. JLR has developed a new modular MLA platform that will be the basis of their new vehicles. I can't wait to see what Jaguar and Land Rover have waiting in the wings. Two or three years ago, I was looking at different EV models. I was just going to dealerships and looking at them. And out of all of the EVs that I have seen, I actually thought the Jaguar I-Pace was the nicest in terms of luxury. Now, I was there with my two little kids at the time. (laughs) They were seven. And uh, let's just say that the salesman at the Jaguar store was very nice, but also wanted us to leave. And my kids were being well-behaved. But, I'm, you know, they probably didn't want children climbing in and out of their $80,000 car. But I thought it was way nicer than the Audi or any of the other EVs we had looked at. Now, this was before Mercedes was putting out their EVs, their nicer EVs that they have today. So that might change based on whatever Mercedes is offering. What I'm trying to say is I liked the i VinFast is officially a public company. They are traded on the U.S. Stock Exchange. VinFast merged with a special acquisition company, which is basically a company that's already on the stock exchange, just waiting to be acquired or merged with. This this was very popular a few years ago. Uh, Nikola, that's how they went public. Lucid and Lordstown, all those companies went public that way. It's kind of frowned upon now, but whatever, VinFast did it. So VinFast is trading under VFS. Their stock peaked at $37.06 on August 15th, 2023. Yesterday, when I was writing this episode, it was right around $15.70. Some more VinFast news. VinFast is interested in selling their vehicles through dealers. Now Dealers do have some concerns like parts distribution and VinFast's reputation as a company, which is to say they don't really have a reputation as a company. You know, whatever reputation they do have is very small because they haven't really been in the United States for that long since January. And it sounds like dealers would really like VinFast to prove themselves as a, you know, a reliable company before they start selling their vehicles. But I can see somebody who owns or runs a Mazda dealership going, hey, you know what? This is a really good option because VenFast vehicles look like really nice Mazdas. All right, let's talk about a company that I haven't mentioned in a while, and that is Faraday Future. Faraday Future has finally delivered the FF91. So back in 2016, when I started this podcast, by the way, I just celebrated seven years. No big deal. Nobody said anything. Um, the two EV companies I talked about the most were Tesla and Faraday Future. In fact, at one CES, Faraday Future showed the FF91 traveling inside of a parking garage by itself and finding a place to park. Unfortunately, it did hit some cars, um, so it wasn't a great demo. They also had this big giant video of, or I guess the video was giant at CES, Um Uh, It was just normal on my screen, but they had a video of these big earth movers clearing land for their huge factory that never ended up coming to fruition. Verity Future has almost gone bankrupt many times in the seven years that I've been talking about them, like more times than I can count, honestly. And there are lots of reasons why (laughs) it almost went out of business. There's a a lot going on with that company, history-wise. But I did see the FF91 at CES this year, and to me, it looked like a futuristic station wagon. Like on steroids, this is a very long car, and it really has like that station wagon vibe. You know what it actually looks like? If you think about movies in the 50s, right? You had those big, giant cars that people were driving around, and when they when there was a uh, A movie in the 50s, let's say that they were going to, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but let's say that they were going to set a movie that was filmed in the 50s, but it's set, let's say, in 2000. And they basically, you know, just kind of like modified current cars that were in the 50s to make them look more space-agey. That's that's what the Faraday Future FF91 looks like. Let's talk about specs, though. It's tri-motor. 1,050 horsepower, uh, 1,458 pound-feet of torque, 155 miles per hour top speed, 0 to 60 or 0 to 100 kilometers in 2.27 seconds. It'll rock a 142 kilowatt-hour battery. Faraday Future is claiming a range of 381 miles. And here's the kicker. The starting price, $309,000. That is a lot of cheese. If you're considering buying an FF91 or uh, you just want to talk about it, send me an email. Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. All right. We got one more story in this segment. And that story is we're going to talk about GM Cruise and their robo taxis. They did not make any friends in the North Beach neighborhood of San Francisco, at least ten autonomous vehicles operated by Cruz caused a traffic jam now in Golden Gate Park, uh, which is right next to this neighborhood, there was a huge music festival, and GM said that the issue was with wireless bandwidth because the music festival interviewed with interfered with the car's network connection to Cruz. The traffic jam cleared up in about 20 minutes, so it's not, not the end of the world. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Cruz is not making any friends in San Francisco. One of San Francisco's board of supervisors, President Aaron Peckin, pointed out that if these vehicles require a cell connection that could potentially cause an issue in the event of an emergency, then that is a real issue. He referenced the wildfires in Maui as an example, and I do think this is a concern. Every region is going to have their own issues. San Francisco obviously has earthquakes, and this is definitely a concern. Like in the event of an earthquake in San Francisco, if you've never been to San Francisco, their roads can be challenging. Some of them are quite steep. Uh, they can be narrow. There's a trolley in, in some of the areas. So, you know, if you if. People are trying to exit the city during an emergency and their cruise vehicles holding everybody up. That's going to be a problem. Uh, nobody's going to be happy about that. They're already putting cones on the LiDAR sensors and things like that, disabling these vehicles. GM needs to do a better job managing these vehicles. Now, I have two additional cruise stories here. One, not a big deal. A cruise vehicle entered a construction site and like went through the construction tape and then got stuck in some wet concrete so that's a, that's a little wah 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 uh, but a, a, another incident with a cruise vehicle where it was struck by a fire truck that appeared to be en route to an emergency now this was struck it was struck by a big ladder truck with a teller if you've ever seen Seinfeld Kramer on the back of the fire truck that's a tiller truck kind of looks like a semi and then somebody in the front is driving and you have somebody in the back managing the back end of that truck driving the back end of the truck so uh, this, this truck struck a Chevy Cruze vehicle. Now, very minor damage. Looked like it was a T-bone in an, inter- in an intersection. Light damage, curtain airbags deployed, minor injuries. One person was uh, in the vehicle and they were a passenger. Who's at fault for this, for a fire truck striking this vehicle in the intersection? I'm going to tell you right now, it's really complicated and without seeing what happened, I'm not going to put myself in that position. But I will say this, as a person who drives a fire truck for a living, in the state of Arizona, not California or wherever you live, unless you live in Arizona, in the state of Arizona, you we're using lights and sirens and horns and grinders and all that stuff. We're making a lot of noise and we're requesting the right of way. We're not taking the right of way. We're requesting it and we can't technically take it until somebody yields it to us. So if I'm rolling through an intersection and I have a red, I'm waiting to um, continue until everyone at that intersection has, has yielded to my truck. If I was to blast through that red light and hit somebody, then I would be liable for that crash. And God forbid, if I killed somebody, then their death would be on me because I chose to blast through the intersection without making sure that it was clear. Totally my fault. It's just like any other red light runner in that instance, except for it's magnified because I am working as a firefighter and a am a truck. So it's going to be a big deal, right? Not to say that people getting hit in intersections isn't a big deal normally, but a fire truck can do quite a bit more damage than, you know, a Chevy Silverado against a, cruise vehicle for instance now again i'm not talking uh any i'm not talking any smack towards the driver in san francisco where this occurred because i don't know i told you that story so i could tell you this one when we are driving and we're requesting the right-of-way human drivers are unpredictable so if i'm going code three down a. uh you know, five-lane road, so you got the turning lane and the two directions, let's say, going north and south, uh, the two lanes going north and south, right? So, there's two lanes going north, two lanes going south, and a turning lane. If I'm requesting the right-of-way, there are people who will stop in the lane of travel that I'm traveling in, they'll stop and they'll put their, their hazards on, not helpful. There are, there are people who might pull off to the left into that turning lane, also not helpful. And then there are people who do what they should do, which is turn right and and pull to the right, excuse me. So when the people um on an on, oncoming traffic pull right and people in the direction of traffic pull right, that opens up the road for the fire apparatus to actually, you know, be able to continue without having to navigate uh, cars parked in the middle of the road. And then there are people who just don't yield the right away at all, whether that's because they don't hear us or... Or because they don't want to, and that happens plenty. Um, the good thing about autonomous vehicles is eventually, and I don't think we're there quite yet, but eventually, the autonomous vehicles are going to spot a fire truck. They're going to they're going to recognize a fire truck or a police car or an ambulance, and they're going to predictably make the same decision every single time. Right? They're not going to pull to the right if there's a car there, but once we get used to interacting with autonomous vehicles and autonomous vehicles have a pattern of what they're going to do when an emergency vehicle is, is uh, behind them or in front of them or whatever, then that's going to be, for the most part, predictable. Humans are not predictable. Humans are, are horribly unpredictable and we have no consistency with human drivers and we have no idea what's going to happen. So I guess what I'm saying here is I have higher hopes for autonomous vehicles doing the right thing in the future. Not now, but in the future, than I do humans continuing to to drive because you would be shocked. I've had people just stop in the middle of an intersection and we can't go anywhere because they, you know, all of these people blocked up the intersection because one person decided they were just going to stop. And, you know, that's not helpful for anybody. Um. I will say Waymo a few years ago, maybe in 2018, 2019, they worked with, I think it was the Tempe Fire Department, the Gilbert Fire Department, and the Chandler Fire Department and police departments on, and I think Southwest Ambulance or AMR, I can't remember what they were called back then, on uh, when an emergency vehicle is behind or in front of one of these autonomous Waymo vehicles, the vehicle's going to pull over to the right uh, there, there might even be some video of it still on YouTube. So I know Waymo does have a plan for this, and I'm sure GM has something. I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. Uh, apparently, <laughs> at the moment, uh, it's not working uh, for a lot of different reasons. So here's my, here's my suggestion to GM. This is not admitting failure, but you need to have a person, a GM representative in the vehicle, at least until you get these problems fixed. Because it's not okay for a you know a, a vehicle to go through construction tape and uh, get stuck in concrete. It's not okay for it to blast through an intersection and uh, impede a fire truck responding to an emergency. It's not okay for traffic issues outside of a music festival. There's already enough issues outside of a music festival. We don't need GM Cruises, uh, the, the bolts, just sitting there. Irritating everybody and and causing more issues. Uh, San Francisco traffic's already a nightmare. So my recommendation is put somebody in that passenger seat. They don't have to be in the driver's seat. But at least if you have somebody in the passenger seat, they can rectify something in a timely manner. So that people aren't horribly inconvenienced because you wanted to test your autonomous vehicles that are not fully baked or even partially baked. Baked in a city that's notoriously hard to drive in for a human so all right that's me on my soapbox i was going to do a patreon plug but i talked about gm way more than i wanted to so let's go ahead uh if you want to go and support the patreon and get ad free show just go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and uh, you're supporting me which i appreciate it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up Okay, doke, let's go ahead and jump into our Tesla news. It sounds like Tesla might be preparing to launch an in-house rental program at its collision centers in Texas. Now, this is all based on a deleted job post. So that's why I said it sounds like and might be because who knows if this is really going to happen or not. But there was a job post for a program manager business development And in that job description, there were two responsibilities listed. There was more, but two that caught the eyes of people who watch this kind of stuff. And that was the first one was lead in the launch of the Tesla rental program in Texas. And the second was support the team on launching a small pilot program in all Texas collision sites. So maybe this is true. And honestly, it makes a whole lot of sense for them to have A vehicle rental program, especially when it comes to collisions, because there's lots of issues with how long it takes Tesla to repair a vehicle or one of these collision centers to repair a vehicle in a timely manner. It could be months. I think it's better now, but it can still be a long time. So it makes sense that they're offering this. (laughs) Another thing that makes sense is Tesla will build a one-of-a-kind or first-of-its-kind data center. However, we don't have any other details on why it's the first-of-its-kind. So it makes sense that Tesla building a data center because they, have, they, they, they hoover up tons of data from their vehicles and all the other things they got going on in terms of energy and stuff like that. But we don't know why it's the first-of-its-kind. Maybe we will someday. Let's see here. You can lease a Powerwall in Vermont through the Green Mountain Power Utilities Tesla Lease Program. Now, you actually, for $55 a month, you actually get two Powerwalls, which is pretty fantastic. The program is now available to 270,000 plus customers. I'm not going to go into any more of the details because I would imagine the people who listen to this show in Vermont... Are small, and the people who listen to this show that you know their utility happens to be Green Mountain Power is even smaller still. So if you're interested in this, go check with your utility uh, at the Green Mountain Power uh, utility. Sounds like that's a good deal. I would pay fifty to five dollars to get two best Tesla Power Walls, uh, even if I had to share them with the utility. I would definitely do that. Tesla is relying on their security teams to keep employees from taking pictures and videos of the Cybertruck while either while it's at the factory being produced, while it's on, you know, in the parking lot, whatever. They're trying to keep people from from leaking this information out. And I understand that, but at this point it's a little bit silly. Like Tesla said that they are going to have a handover event in September. I have no reason to not think that this handover event Uh, won't take place i think it's probably going to take place it'll probably be at the end of september not at the beginning of september at this point tesla is doing a handover event in a few weeks if you know if they're to be trusted they're going to do a handover event in a few weeks and they're going to hand these vehicles to customers who don't know anything about them they won't even find. They won't find out until Tesla does the handover event. It seems like maybe they'll announce what the final specs are and features are in you know weeks leading up to it, a week or two leading up to it. But that's ridiculous. Like they told us what to expect with the Model Y, and largely that's what we got with a lot of Model Y. Same thing with the Model Three. They should be able to at at this point in time. They should be able to give final specs for the Cybertruck. And we should not be waiting until they actually hand trucks to customers. And honestly, it'll probably be be the handover event will probably be customer or probably be employees and investors. But it doesn't really matter. That's really annoying, Tesla, for you to do that. If you're going to ask people to, you know, fork over tens of thousands of dollars, you know what the specs of the truck are going to be. You know what the final specs are. Why are you hiding it? Now, I I tend to be a little bit more optimistic and I I think that Tesla will come really close to meeting these specs that they had said. Like, I don't think we're getting a 500-mile truck. I think we're going to get over 300-mile trucks. I don't think we're going to see the dual motor anytime soon. We're definitely not going to see the single motor. Uh, We will see the tri and the quad motor because that's going to make Tesla the most amount of money. But yeah, at this point, why are we why are we why 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 not we why is tesla waiting to give specs it's it it's very um not upsetting it's not the right word disconcerning to me um i really hope that they can pull this off because i want the Cybertruck to be a really cool truck and not a dud and the longer tesla stays, stays silent the more it feels like it's going to be a dud and again I try to be optimistic about this stuff. I can't imagine a reason why they haven't given us this information. Like if you compare it to an iPhone, right? Tesla announces an iPhone, which they're going to do in a couple of weeks. And then you have like three days to think about it. If you want to buy it, you know what the specs are going to be. You put in your pre-order and then you get the iPhone the next week. Tesla announced the Cybertruck in November of 2019, We've waited all of this time. They said, hey, you know, listen, the specs have changed. They haven't given us any information, but they've taken everybody's reservation. I don't know. I still think this truck is going to end up being a pretty amazing vehicle. Maybe it's not amazing out of the gate, but I think over years and some iteration, it's going to be an amazing vehicle. But for goodness sakes, Tesla, come on. All right. Let's move on to some cheerier news. If you own an iPhone and a Tesla, good news, you have uh, a new feature that you can play with. If you're familiar with shortcuts, it allows you on your iPhone to automate certain tasks, right? And you can even use Siri uh, to do those tasks. So I can say, hey, S lady, run my vacuum on the main floor. And it will do that. It'll run the automatic like robot vacuum on the main floor which is cool now you can do similar things with your tesla like you can lock and unlock your doors you can start or stop preconditioning of the battery Uh, you can enable or disable sentry mode dog mode you can open the tesla charge port you can start charging the tesla so if you have it plugged in and it's not charging you can say hey blank charge the tesla or you can go to the little shortcut that you have on your phone and just, you know, hit a button and it does it. It's pretty cool. I, unfortunately, I tried to play with this earlier today. I was not able to. And I think that might be because I'm using an iOS beta and I, I just don't have access to this feature. So as soon as I'm able to play with it, I'll let you know. I'll, I really only have one shortcut set up on my phone and that's for the robot vacuum. So I'm maybe not an expert in in the realm of shortcuts, but still, this will be pretty cool. Like when you're coming out of the grocery store and you got your hands are full of bags and you can say, hey, phone, open the trunk and it opens it for you, that's gonna be super convenient. Moving on here, Tesla has launched a standard range version of the Model S and Model X. The standard range Model S has a range of 320 miles 149 miles per hour top speed, 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds, and costs $78,490, which is about $10,000 cheaper than the next level, which gives you 405 miles of range, 0 to 60 in 3.1 seconds. As far as the Model X goes, you get 269 miles, 149 miles per hour, 0 to 60 in 4.4 seconds, and it'll cost eighty eight thousand four hundred and ninety dollars. Again, ten thousand dollars cheaper than that next level up. If you were get if you were to buy the next level up, that would get you a range of three hundred and forty eight miles, zero to sixty in three point eight seconds, um, for about ninety eight thousand dollars. But here's the kicker: those two cars that I just explained have the same battery pack. I don't know if everything is the same on the car, but they have the same battery pack. The cheaper standard range battery pack is software limited or software locked. And it sounds like Tesla is not planning on letting people upgrade or purchase an upgrade to unlock that extra battery range. But this is Tesla. So in three months, and they're like, oh, we could probably get an extra you know, $45 million if we offer to unlock people's battery packs for, let's say, $8,000 instead of the $10,000 and tell customers, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We're never going to offer this again. Well, there, there you go. There's your option. The other thing is, based on a story we did last week, maybe a hacker will figure out how to open up that extra range. In either case, it opens up options for customers, and that's always a good thing. I would like them to open up options for customers on the lower side of prices instead of the upper side of prices, but what do I know? I'm just a, a nerd in his basement. Speaking of being a nerd in my basement, I'm in Phoenix. It's getting hot in here, even though it's been overcast all day. So I'm gonna finish up with these two stories real quick. Steve Hanley of Clean Technica reported that Tesla is planning on adopting bi-directional charging by 2025. If you're not familiar with bi-directional charging, that would allow you to, you know, charge your vehicle like normal. But then if there's a power outage or if for whatever reason you're in one of those places like I am where the utility decides to charge you a lot more money during a certain period, peak pricing is what they call it, Uh, You could do vehicle to home, so you plug your car in during those times, periods, and your home, some of your home is powered off of your battery. You have vehicle to load, so if you're out camping and you want a margarita, you can plug your vehicle in, and you can, you know, uh, run your blender. And then you have vehicle to grid, which is there to support the grid, and I'm not sure why you'd want to do that, but I'm sure there's reasons. Uh, this was actually in the NACS spec. So bidirectional directional charging, shouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody familiar with that spec. And we've talked about this on this show before, but that leads us into our next story, which Tesla this week released the Tesla L2 or level two universal wall connector. Now this is only available currently in North America. And why is this, um, Why is this noteworthy? Well, first of all, it's noteworthy because it has a J1772 adapter as well as an NACS connector, which is fantastic. This actually works kind of like Tesla's Magic Dock does on the superchargers. But instead of a CCS1 adapter, you get a J1772 adapter. So there's a little button on the connector when it's docked. If you press that button, you'll get access to the J1772 adapter. If you just pull out the connector, you get the Tesla NACS adapter. So let me give you some specs real quick. This is a uh, 48-amp wall connector. It's a little bit bigger than the version 3 wall connector that I just paid for. It cost $1,000 to install and close to $500, uh, over $500 with tax, to purchase um which is fine it was i purchased it a couple of weeks ago it's not that big of a sting <laughs> i'm lying I, I would have bought this before i would have bought the other connector but anyway didn't know about it um where was I? it's got a 24 foot long cable here's the bi- here's the cool thing uh you can manage the wall connector in the app so You can't do that currently on the one that I have. So you can manage it through. You can see remote diagnostics. You can get over-the-air updates and access controls. And you can actually schedule when you want your car to charge, which is going back to peak prices. I would like to be able to plug my car in and say, charge between these hours, but not on these hours, because I'm going to get charged more money. That'd be great. According to Tom Malogny, who does the... Uh, state of charge YouTube channel, Tesla is going to update all of their wall connectors so that you can access them through the app. So that's good news. That, 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 that makes me feel better. One of the other things with this Tesla wall universal wall connector that I thought was interesting is you can power share with up to six wall connectors. And why is that important? Because most people aren't going to have six Teslas or, or electric vehicles in their home. It's important because of fleets. So you could, you off of one breaker, sounds like, you can have six wall connectors. And if you have all six plugged in, they're going to charge very slow. But if you have two plugged in, it's just going to split the power between those two wall connectors. So that's fantastic. And the other thing for fleets is maybe you have some Teslas and maybe you have some Ionic 5s and you can charge between the both of those with this wall connector. So that's fantastic. The price on this is $595, and as a personal note, um, it's just going to take me a little bit to get over the fact that I paid so much money for something, and something new came out literally weeks later, two weeks later, with the feature that I wanted, which is to be able to schedule my charges. Like There are so many third-party chargers that aren't Tesla chargers that do this right now and have so many more feature that features than a Tesla charger does ah, it's all right. I'll be fine. All right, everybody, let's end it here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. You can find me on x.com at 918digital. And I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And on Tuesday, we're going to go over Fisker Motors uh, 2023 Q2 earnings call. All right, everybody, thanks so much again for listening, and I will talk to you on Tuesday.